Come on, how many people are ready to get into the Word tonight? Come on, are you guys excited for that? How many people brought their Bible to church? Anybody bring their Bible? Who's got a paperback? Show me them paperbacks. Baby got back. Paperback. We're going to get into it, and it's going to be fun. How many people here last week for Joyce and Jess? How many people enjoyed that, that little talk they did? Come on. Anybody subscribe to their podcast? Come on. Well, they had an amazing message on gifts, on what God has given you to be a part of the body of Christ. And I was so convicted by it that I felt God say, James, why don't you just jump on? You're preaching next week. You know that, James. Why don't you just jump on this train of thought and talk about one of the most important things that each and every one of us could be a part of? How many people know it's incredibly important to be a part of the body of Christ? Does anybody know that? Does anybody know that? Okay, most of you don't. So I'm going to tell you that, man, it will be, and by the end of this message, I believe that God's going to speak to your heart, your greatest achievement, that's the title of my talk tonight, your greatest achievement will be being a part of the body of Christ. We heard it last week, we're going to hear more about it tonight. So we're going to turn to the word in 1 Corinthians verse, or chapter 12, verses 12. Anybody got it already? If you don't even have a Bible, it's all G. It's up on the screen. We got you. So let's read together, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to get into it. Sound good? Come on. This is Paul talking to the people in Corinth back in somewhere around 90 AD or something like that. I don't know. I just threw that out there. I just guessed. But verse 12, just as a body, and we're picking up from where Joyce and Jeff, Joyce and not Jeff, Jess left off. It's a tongue twister. Jeez. Just as a body, though, one has many parts. Touch your neighbor and say many. But all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit. Baptized just simply means immersed in. We're all immersed in one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile. Gentile is just if you're not a Jew. Slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Touch your neighbor and say many. Now, the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. Durr. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. If it, would not, if it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. Obviously. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Or if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Touch your neighbor and say, you got a body. A nice one, too. Come on. Let's pray. God, we just love you tonight. And God, we thank you that we get to be a part of this body. When we believe in you, we are introduced and, and a part of your family and a part of your body. And God, we know through the scripture that we all have a part to play. And it would be easy to compare, as this scripture is pointed out. It would be easy to compare. But God, I pray today, tonight, that you would speak to each and every one of us and show us, hey, what part do we have to play? In Jesus' name, everybody said. Come on, how many people like awkward moments out there? Come on, I'm glad I heard some yeses because it's about to get awkward. What I want you to do, I got a question for you guys. What you're going to do is you're going to turn to your neighbor and you're going to tell them the answer, okay? Does that make sense? 
Does that make sense? So the question that I have for you is what is your greatest attribute? What's special about you? What like sweet skills do you have? Or like when you, when you like pump yourself up, like what is the things that you think about, about you? So what I want you to do is take 30 seconds, tell the person and then have the other person tell you. Ready, set, go. If you didn't come with anyone, just go to someone close, get awkward, and just tell them what you love about yourself the most. Unashamedly, pump your own tires, people. Pump them up. Pump it up. Come on. We got to like each other and ourselves. Pump them up. Pump them up. Pump, pump, pump it up. Once you're done that, have the other person share. Again, if you came by yourself, just find somebody and say, yo, this is what I love about myself. Check me out. Come on. All right, you guys need any more time? Need any more time? I think we're doing good. Was that awkward for anyone? Is it awkward talking about yourself or like some of you just amazing at it? Who's amazing at talking about their self? Okay, we got a few people in here. That's great. That's great. But sometimes it's good just to realize, hey, what is God? Give to me. You're going to about to talk in a moment. I got another question for you. So here's what I want you to do now. Is he, although that may have been awkward, what I want you to do is even if they're a stranger, just compliment them on their outfit. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, here's the thing that I think is most special about you. Okay, ready, set, go. Allison, I love your joyful spirit. You are very unique in that, that you always got a smile on that you're always ready to say hello, and even make fun of me sometimes, but Allison, I love your joyful spirit. What do you love about me, Allison? Boo stamps, they lost, jeez. Come on, who needs more time, who needs more time? Anybody need more time? All right, all right, all right. Come on, how hard, was that hard for anybody out there? Complimenting someone, Martin, it was kind of hard. How many people's families were verbally affectionate? Did anybody have like, you just to, would tell, your parents would tell you what they thought about you all the time in a good way? Anybody have that or in a bad way? How many people just, your parents just say, you suck. Can't believe I birthed you. Hopefully they didn't say that. But sometimes it's awkward, but it's good. We got we to gotta compliment each other. It's amazing. But hey, I got a third question. This is for yourself. I got a third question. This, 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 this is for you. Just for you. The things that you love about yourself, the attributes that you have, the skills that you have, my question is, when at the end of the day, when you look at your life, when you look at where you're at, are those things enough to make you who you are? Okay, for some, yes. Thank you. For others, here's my guess, just here's my guess, my guess is that you probably... The thing you said about yourself or the thing that you complimented someone on is what we're going to call tonight a resume virtue. Touch your neighbor and say resume virtue. How many people love writing resumes? Does anybody love it? Does anybody hate it? Anybody need a reference? Pastor Ben has got you. Email him at pb at gmail.com. He will hook you up with a good reference. Um, They're the worst. But resumes... What I think probably most of you answered in is something along the lines of like, oh yeah, I got a really good work ethic, what's up? 
Did anybody say that? Or like, or like, where, was it, okay, let's just look at it this way. Did you answer in something physical? Like, yo, my, my six pack is like the best thing about me. Anybody say that? Okay, how about, how about like, like a, a brain way? Like, yo, I am so smart when it comes to stats. Anybody in a stats class right now? Nobody? Or, or like, how about emotionally? Like, yo, my heart is like, it's soft, girl. What's up? Did anybody say that? You probably wouldn't put that on a resume, but, but my guess again is that you, you answer the question with these things called the resume virtue. It would be like, yeah, you got a good work ethic. You got amazing people skills. You're a genius when it comes to this, or you're good at when it comes, or passionate about when it comes to that, or whatever. You're skilled at all these great things. You know, it's great. Napoleon, he's really skilled at some good stuff, which are all great. Don't get me wrong. These skills, man, they're God-given, and they're amazing, But oftentimes what I find, just what I find, maybe not what you find, what I find is that they fall short in achieving the life that you actually want. They're great. Don't get me wrong. But what I want to look at is that oftentimes I I think they fall short of these things called eulogy virtues. Anybody know what a eulogy is? Anybody been in a funeral? Well, there's a eulogy. And here's the thing. Resume virtues are great. But is that the thing at the end of your life, as we said, is it enough? Is that the thing at the end of life that you want people to remember you for? Oh, yeah, you had, had a great people skills or whatever. Tonight, I don't want to look at what it means and how we develop eulogy virtues, which are, again, what people say about you at your funeral, what people remember you for. Like, he was a man of integrity, or she was a great woman of leadership, or he was trustworthy and always there for me to support me, or she was all wise and had an amazing listening ear. Like, the things that people remember you for. Because oftentimes, why I want to talk about this, because oftentimes I find our culture, man, we focus a lot on resume virtues. Just think about it this way. In our society, how, how many people are in debt because of college? Anybody? Let's just pray. Jesus, Jubilee, Jesus' name. You know, like, how much money do we spend and how much time do we spend developing ourselves, developing our brain to, in, to have these resume virtues? Oh, I went to college, got a bachelor's at this, got my PhD. Anybody got their PhD in here? Can I call you a doctor? You got a PhD, Tyler? In what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Anyways, I know, he, may, he, might be, he might have a PhD in, I don't know. I was about to say something mean, but I won't do it. He, we were roommates that I could call out. Not doing the dishes. PhD in sucking at dishes. Just kidding. Andrew, can I get an amen? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry. Tyler, I love you, man. PhD in guitar skills. But like, like... We, we focus a lot on this concept. Where's all my Africans in here? I'm, I'm African. What's up? Man, your parents, the moment you were even conceived, they're just like, God, we just pray that this, this child, we declare that it would become a what? A doctor. Thank you, blessing. Yo, sup? Or like an engineer or just plain successful or something like that. Like we focus on these things and they're good. Don't get me wrong. They're good. They're the dream. And we have this Canadian dream, and even if you're not international, where it's like, yeah, graduate school. Go maybe take a gap year if you're a Christian. Like, I'm going to go to YWAM. What's up? I'm going to go to, like, Cape and Ray. Whatever. And it's great. But after that gap year, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to start my career. Right? Right? 
right? That's the, like the Canadian dream. I'm going to, if you're in Ontario, it's like, I'm going to have a, I'm going to place in Florida. Yeah. Have a cabin, a cottage. They call it cottage over there. Or like, in, in, I'm going to have a timeshare in Phoenix. Does anybody have a timeshare in Phoenix? Can I borrow it? Going to Phoenix in a couple weeks. This is, this is like the Canadian dream and it's good and it's right and it's what we're supposed to do. But here's the thing. Is it enough? Have you ever met somebody that's in this thing that we call, when they're like 20 years into their career, what we call, what we've seen on TV, a midlife crisis? Is anybody in a midlife crisis right now? You're just like, what a midlife crisis, if you don't know what it is, is it's basically you question everything that you've decided. You question your career, you're like regrets, you got mad regrets, like hindsight's 2020. you look back, I wish I could have done this, I wish I could have done that, and I really hope that none of you are at this, at this point yet. Maybe you're like, James, dog, I've changed my degree like six times, I regret every decision that I make. Anybody change their degree? It's pretty common, in America at least, maybe not in Canada, you guys know what you are, but I want to talk to you. Oh, man, I want to talk to you tonight about how to avoid this, how to avoid this regret, how to avoid this disappointment, how to avoid like wishing you were doing something else. And it's simple. It's not, it's not that hard. It's not like revolutionary. And you probably already know what I'm about to talk to you about. But I want to right now look at some history. Because if we don't learn from our history, we're bound to what? Repeat it. I want to look at scripture. Come on. How many people love the word of God? You love it. This is where we can learn. We can learn from people. So I want to look at two types of people. And I think we will find ourselves in one of these categories. And the world does too. I think there's two types of people in this world. Category one, people who live for themselves. Category two, people who live for God. So I want to look at the first category. A great example of this is a dude named King Solomon. Anybody remember who King Solomon was? What was he known for? His wisdom. So King Solomon, pure, he was the son of David, David and Goliath. He, he was born into the palace, born into a nation called Israel, and he became the king of it. And when he became king, he was pure, and he was doing it for the right reasons. He loved the people. And God saw his heart and said, Solomon, I'm going to give you basically a blank check, whatever you want. I will give it to you. What was it? As you already answered, wisdom. So he got that. He got it all. And by the end of his life, I mean, scholars and historians, when they research how much he was worth, they estimate he was worth $2.1 trillion. For an example, like uh, to compare that, Bill Gates, I think is like 50, 55 or something like that. Billion, not trillion, $2.1 trillion. Man, this dude had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He was wise, but not that wise. Man, like he, man, like he, like people would travel from all over the world to come and see his wisdom. But at the end of his life, he wrote this book called Ecclesiastes. And basically the moral of the story, the moral of the book is that it was all, anybody know? Meaningless. He had everything. He was wise. He was smart. His career was incredible. He had it all. But at the end of his life, he lived with regret because what happened? He lived for himself. It was meaningless. Second category, people who live for God. We're going to look at this, this dude, one of, the, one of the disciples of Jesus. He's not in the original 12, but he was a disciple. He was an apostle, and his name was Paul. Prior to that, his name was Saul. God changed his name when he came to know him. But this dude also had a career. He was a Pharisee. Anybody know what a Pharisee is? I don't want to be a... Anybody? 
Anybody grow up in church? Pharisee, because they're not. Thank you. All right. Anyways, this dude is a Pharisee, and he was really good at his job. Like, we're all about in our generation, like, oh, dog, it's about relationship, not religion. Right? Right? He was really good at religion. He was like the law enforcer of the law of Moses, which was 619 Levitical laws. It was crazy. And he would, like, go and point fingers and persecute people for not doing it. And when this Jesus guy came along and he had these followers, sometimes even Jesus, the Pharisees would try to trap him. They would, they would be like, hey, you're not, you're not washing your hands on Sunday because that was a rule, I guess, back in the day. And he'd be like, it's not about that, whatever, da-da-da-da, and he would have a rebuttal. But this guy was good at his job. And one day when he was on his way to Damascus, where he was about to go persecute a lot more people and kill some more people, the angel of the Lord came down and said, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? He's like, who is this Lord? And he answered, yes, Lord. And they're like, yeah, it is Jesus Christ, Lord. And, 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 and from that moment on, he went to Damascus, met a guy named Ananias on the street called Straight. And with all of his skill, with all of his knowledge, because if you were a Pharisee, if you were like the, the upper echelon, you had the first five books of the Bible memorized. I can't even memorize John 3.16, let alone like the first five books of the Bible. Like these guys were smart. He had everything career-wise and he gave it all up to do one thing. One thing. Which was he used his skill. He used his virtues. He used his ability. He used his life to start being a part of the body of Christ. To start building and extending his, God's kingdom. To start building the church. He just became a part, a member of this body and used his gifts for God. Now looking at Paul's life, because I want to compare the two, Solomon to Paul. Look at it in his life. Man, he had some pretty tough seasons. Like just imagine, like, imagine having to rebuild your reputation for the church. When, like, you murdered some of the, you know, cousins of the disciples, and then all of a sudden, you're, like, over the church. Imagine how much work he had to put in to rebuild his reputation. Man, he had some ups and downs. I mean, he went from, like, building that reputation to gaining, gaining influence and leadership and laying down his life. He had, man, he saw people getting healed from handkerchiefs. He saw crazy miracles, signs, wonders, people being set free, saved, and delivered. He saw tons of churches started in the New Testament. Man, he saw the fivefold ministry working hand in hand, lives changed, leaders raised up. But then, that's the up, that's great. He went to the down, which was, wasn't a down, but in our mind, it could be a down where he was literally in prison, writing letters, writing to the churches, encouraging them, which is what we're reading in Corinthians. He was writing letters. Man, from that, man, he, man, he got stoned, like not on weed, like, like people throwing rocks at him. Like, man, he got whipped. He got beat. If you want to read the list of all his sufferings that he did, that he went through for God, read 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen 16 to 33. If you ever feeling bad about your life being a Christian, just go read that. And you probably won't feel as bad. That's what I do when I'm feeling low. It's like, well, at least I'm not getting beat or stoned. Maybe I, never mind. You know, we heard these things in Paul's writings, his sufferings and his victories. But have you ever noticed one thing? You want to know what he didn't say? Have you ever noticed what he didn't say? Like King Solomon, 
Man, you, did, you didn't hear how he was like regretted living his life for the church, for God. Man, you didn't hear how he wished he had built somebody else's kingdom. Man, you did not hear how he wished he had more money or more fame or more power. He was, for those of you who didn't know, he was a tent maker. So he was this thing called bivocational ministry. For those of you in Bible school, side note, he, the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, planted the majority of churches in the New Testament, and he did it all for free. He didn't get paid a cent because he was trying to prove himself to the other apostles saying, I'm not going to let you pay me because then you'll say that you had something to do with me. It was only God. This guy paid it all, and he didn't hear. Oh, it's meaningless. You didn't hear. Regrets, man. Jeez. What did you hear? Let's look at some more scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, later on in this chapter that we're reading. It's my life verse. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And he wasn't just writing here to church leaders or like, deacons or elders. Man, he was writing to Christians. Christians that had jobs or careers or families or a social life or just lived normal lives. But here was the kicker, man. They gave themselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because they know their work is not in vain. Their labor is not in vain if it's in and for the Lord. They realized that they had something greater to live for. They realized that they were not citizens of this earth. As Paul taught them in Philippians 3, it's up on the screen, verse 17. Join together and follow my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you, you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him bring, to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies, your lowly bodies, my lowly body, so that they will be like his glorious body. They knew they weren't citizens of this earth. They weren't living for earthly pleasures. Man, we are citizens of heaven. And what, what else did Jesus teach us? In Matthew 6, verse 19 to 21, I think it's up on the screen. Do not store up yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. These Christians at the beginning of church, man, they didn't live with regret. We didn't hear in all the New Testament like, shoot, shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have gave my life. 
Man, we, 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 didn't, we didn't hear that, man. These people weren't concerned with what themselves or how much money they made or their personal accolades or their resume virtues. Man, they were concerned with building the kingdom because they were devoted to Christ. They were devoted to extending his kingdom to people that were far off. They were devoted to building his church. They were devoted to just being a part of a body. And a lot of them lost their lives for it, literally. Paul, he was beheaded. And their greatest achievement, man, it wasn't how much money they made, or the promotion they got, or the big, how big a house or tent they had, or that they went on holiday to Greece and stayed on one of those white and blue roofs. That, was, that, was, that wasn't like, you don't hear them writing about that stuff. Their greatest achievement was that they just played their part. They played their part. Some were eyes, some were feet, some were ears, some were hands, but ultimately Jesus as the head of the church, the head of the body, and the head of their lives. And when they got to heaven, they didn't say, man, wish I would have got that extra camel. I wish wish I would have got that bigger fishing board. Hey, Peter, wouldn't it have been nice to catch more fish, you know? No, I didn't start saying that stuff. You're like, oh, I wish I would have had a nicer tent, you know, go camping. I didn't say that. They weren't like, oh, man, should I gave my money to the poor? Could I got myself? Whatever. They didn't say that. And they said, God, I gave my best. And God would welcome them in with open arms saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. And those are the words that I'm longing to hear for my life. Are you longing them for yours? Those are the words that that I am living for, that many of you are living for. Not, hey, I got a promotion or, hey, I got a raise. I'm not living for that stuff, man. That's temporary. I'm living for what's eternal. Are you? I'm living for the only words that I need to hear from my father at the end of my life saying, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what we need to live for. This needs to become our greatest achievement. That we were a part of the body. And to be honest, I'd rather be a butthole in the body of Christ than the head of my own. For real. Whatever it is. Some of you complain. Oh, I, oh, 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 like, oh, I'm not this, I'm not that. Like, oh. oh. So maybe you're wondering. It's like, well, then how do I live for, how do I make my life of eternal value? How do we become a part of the body of Christ? Well, if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, first step, just get to know him. At the end of the service, if, you, if, you, if you're new here and you don't know Jesus, we're so glad you're here. Just turn to your neighbor, most likely they're a Christian. If they're not, just come chat with me. Both of you can come chat with me at the front. And I'd love to introduce you to my friend, Jesus. Second step, if you're a Christian and you're just chilling in pews, and that's what you define Christianity as, going to church on Sunday or Monday. I'm, doing, I'm a Christian man. I go to church every Sunday. Man, be a part of the body. How many people know sometimes your body doesn't want to cooperate with 
like constipation. Jeez. Never had it, never want to. Sometimes the body doesn't cooperate, but you can. You can choose. So how do you do that? Man, go to, your, go to the leader of your church. Go to, the, you'll go to your pastor and just be like, yo, dog, I'm just here to serve. And if he says, thank you, my dude. Thanks, girl. I need someone to be on the parking lot team this winter. <laughs> what? It's cold out. Hey, man. You asked to serve. Start there. Honestly. Honestly. Start there. Need someone to stack chairs? Start there. But, but, I, but man, I, I want to start there. Because the body of Christ today on this earth is the local church. There's no way around it. Yes, we're a part of the big C church, the global church. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the church. But are you part of a local expression, a part of the body in your city here? Are you? And if you are, are you attending, are you spectating, or are you participating? Because the church needs you. God needs you. God wants to work through you. And the only answer that he left this world for, for salvation is Jesus. But who is Jesus to the people here on earth? The church. There's no other Jesus they're going to see at your workplace apart from you. There's no other Jesus on the sports team that they're going to see apart from you. And what do Christians have lately? A terrible reputation. So you're maybe thinking, sitting there thinking like, yeah, I just wish I could change the church, man. Well, start being a part of, uh, humbly being a part of the local church. Sure, we have a bad reputation, but how is that going to change? Is not one by one us complaining about the church. It's going to change by us getting low, getting humble, and serving our church, our God, the body, playing our part. That's just how it's going to happen. And if we do that well, man, the reputation is going to change of the church. It's just true. And I get it. You've been hurt. I've been hurt. I don't know what you've been through. There is poor leadership out there. I get it. I'm one of them. Not that great of a leader. Jesus, I'm a piece of work. Somebody pray for me. But we need to be a part of the church, no matter how hard it is, because that is where you develop eulogy virtues. No other place... Scouts is great. Don't get me wrong. Girl Guys is, is, is awesome. I love those cookies. But no other place. The wise is great, but no other place is going to develop your eulogy virtues like church. Why? It's because we're humans. We rub against each other. And as Joyce and Jess said last week, it's iron sharpening iron, and we get better by the end of our life because we stuck it out. We didn't give up. We didn't quit. We stayed with it. What people are going to say about you is going to be great because your greatest achievement wasn't yourself. It wasn't about you. It wasn't about whatever as the band comes up. Your greatest achievement is that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Honestly, 
And in our young millennial generation type of thinking, it's all about ourselves. We're just honest. I'm honest. I think about myself more than anyone. I'm about to have a baby girl, and who thinks about himself more? Me. I think about myself more. It's not what I want to teach my kid. But the only way that I'm going to come through that is being together with you guys and helping each other grow. Man, if you're not a part of a Sunday gathering on a weekly basis, get in one. If you're not a part of a small group at your church, get in one. If you're not being mentored or discipled, find somebody. Mentors don't come to you. You go looking for mentors. Man, just be a part of it. No matter what the church, the church pastor asks you to do. My prayer is, is that our greatest achievement will become living for the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Those words are from a parable, Matthew 25. His master said to him, the parable of the talents, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, and I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. As Pastor Ben said, man, some of you guys want to do ministry. And you're believing for it. And God's going to release you into it. But the only way to get there is you don't start here. Where I started, kidsmen, prepping snacks. And then slapping the bass. And then stacking chairs at youth. And then I was a youth leader. And then I did admin for my father-in-law, who's a slave driver. I had to take attendance for everything. And then I served as a youth leader for a while. Then I became, came here and was all part-time. I worked at a golf course. Wherever you're at, man, if you can borrow the words from Drake, start from the bottom. And you'll get here. It's my last thought. There's nothing greater than Christ's body. There just isn't. And man, let's give our lives to it. So that the world, again, it's not like, oh yeah, I just want to build First Assembly's name. No, and I want to build God's name. How did he do that? He left his church. It's the greatest thing you could ever be a part of. So if you don't have a church, just come chat with me after. I'd love to introduce you to one in your neighborhood. Or turn to your neighbor and ask them. But why don't we stand? Let's pray. If you're not serving in a church on a regular basis, I'd encourage you to. It'll change your life. So God, we just pray right now. God, we pray right now that God, God, you'd use us. God, even though we're a piece of work, even though we're a mess, God, you can still use us. And Father, I pray that our perspective would change. That although building a career is good and you've destined that for us so that we could then be a part of your church. It's not the end all be all our career. And it's being a part of your church, doing work for you, God. So Father, I just pray that perspectives and mindsets would shift. That God, we'd see you and we'd see your body and we'd say yes.
I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to be a part of something greater than my, me. I'm going to build something greater than myself. So as we worship in this song, I surrender. Maybe you're going to need to surrender some stuff and actually get real and get honest. But let's just think about and reflect as we worship. God, how can I be a part of your body better?